Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Pray and Keep on Praying. <laughs> this morning I want to continue to talk to you about prayer as we look into the book of James again. The title of my message comes from James chapter 5, verse 13, which says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. And the verb tenses in the Greek for the words pray and sing imply a continuous and or repetitive action. So it could be translated, let him pray and keep on praying. Let him sing and keep on singing. <laughs> Both of these words include the idea of worship. So we could just shorten it everything and call it worship. <laughs> Praying and singing all wrapped up in worship. So continuous praying, continuous worshiping is what believers naturally tend to do if they understand what prayer is and how it works. In the simplest terms, prayer is simply communicating with God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all of whom live within us. And on a constant basis, they never leave us, and they never forsake us. They always hear everything we think, everything we feel. <laughs> That's communication. It's what prayer is. Prayer begins in simply acknowledging the presence of God within us, and then in including Him in our thoughts. I remember when God told me, pray without ceasing. <laughs> I was like, well, how on earth are you supposed to do that? Can't be on my knees all the time. <laughs> I was taught prayer was a position. Well, it was, but it wasn't a physical one. <laughs> prayer is simply talking to him all the time about everything, and then knowing that he talks to us in our thoughts and in our unction by the Holy Spirit. We hear God speak all of the time. We really do. But we just don't always recognize that it's Him that's speaking because He sounds exactly like us. <laughs> There's a reason for that. We're one with Him. <laughs> that's why you can hear God say something and you don't realize it's Him saying it because it sounds just like you're thinking and it's actually Him speaking to you, even in the easiest and simplest of ways. I remember once when I went to um, the Beloit Karis, and I was setting it up for everyone to have Bible college there. And the Lord said to me, take your drink and your purse in when you go in. I was like, well, no, I'll get the bellboy thing, and I'll put everything on this card, and then I'll take it all in at the same time. I had a very good reason why I shouldn't listen to that voice. Very logical. Except when I got in there, my husband had gotten there before me and already did all of that. And God said, see? <laughs> All you need now is to go get your purse and your drink. <laughs> and that's just how easy it is to hear God. We just have to ask Him. Cause me to recognize how much that I hear that I don't realize is you. Because He is always talking. And that's prayer. He is able to make us know. I love when he does that. He likes to point out, see, I said something to you and you didn't listen. <laughs> Not as a matter of condemnation, but to show you, you hear, you really do hear. <laughs> You're hearing just fine. There's nothing wrong with your spiritual ears. You're hearing. This is good. Celebrate the hearing. Praise God. <laughs> According to Dr. Caroline Leaf, a Christian neuroscience researcher, 
Our brains are physically wired to have an ongoing internal conversation with someone other than ourselves. About every 90 seconds, our brain looks for an internal third-party response automatically. They know from how the brain operates that every 90 seconds, it goes looking for a conversation, a third party. And your brain does that all by itself. <laughs> we are designed to have this ongoing internal conversation with the Father all the time. We are designed to have continuous communication with God. That continuous communication is what we call prayer. Prayer, most specifically, <laughs> is not just talking or complaining or asking for stuff. It's listening. That's the most important part of prayer. So many believers struggle with the idea of prayer because they have either wrong heathenistic ideas about prayer or they have old covenant ideas about prayer. One such idea is if I ask God for something over and over and over, this will persuade God to give me what I ask for. <laughs> Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6, verse 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. When I was about eight years old, I had the notion that if I asked God for long, straight hair 100 times, he might just give it to me. Now, we weren't churchgoers, so I didn't know anything about God. I just assumed if you ask God the same thing a certain amount of times, there was a breaking point where God said, all right, all right, <laughs> here. <laughs> I didn't know anything about God. And yet I have come to the conclusion, I know how to manipulate God. I'll just pester him to death. <laughs> I don't know where I picked up this idea that I could persuade him to give me one of his favors, but I did. And of course, it didn't work. I still woke up with curly hair. <laughs> I was very disappointed. And I remember thinking, well, how do you get God to do stuff for you then? If you can't get him to do stuff for you by asking him a million times, how do you get God to do stuff? Like I say, we weren't churchgoers, so I didn't get that question answered. But the truth is, many adult believers are still trying to operate from that same mistaken concept of prayer. If we just ask enough, <laughs> he will get irritated and just give us what we want. That's not who God is. One of the big problems with that kind of thinking is they believe God is separated from them. Because obviously he lives far away in heaven. And so we're praying to a God who's far away and not personally involved. It's all wrong. It's all very, very wrong. The truth is, heaven is inside of us. God is inside of us. Our prayers don't have to get any farther than our mouth, our mind. Because they're not going anywhere. <laughs> when I'm praying, those prayers don't go up to heaven. The prayers go right into heaven, <laughs> into me, into him. <laughs> My prayers don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a, a young mother in my little holiness church, which helped me, by the way, my little holiness church, to have absolutely all kinds of wrong understanding regarding prayer. <laughs> they only knew what they had been taught. They knew very little about the God that lives inside of you. They always thought about prayer as God living far away and God needing to be persuaded. I remember one time I came home from Sunday night church where they all have testimonies and all these people got up and testified how God did extravagant and amazing things for them. 
because they spent all night in prayer. I was like, oh, this is bad news. <laughs> to get God to do amazing, extraordinary things, you have to be up all night and figure out what to say all night? And I thought, how do you do that? How does someone pray all night? What, do you just say the same thing over and over and over and over and over, and you wear him down until he finally says yes? Because if that's the way it works, I'm out of luck. I have small children and I need sleep. <laughs> the dear believers in my little holiness church really and truly believed that it was their own earnestness and diligence and perseverance that persuaded their Heavenly Father to bless them. When in actuality, it was their earnestness and diligence and perseverance that allowed the Father to persuade their hearts to actually believe in the goodness of a good, good Father. <laughs> Spending lots of time with God, God will persuade your heart to believe and receive. We never persuade the Father to do us good. Our Father doesn't need to be persuaded to do us good. The death of Jesus on the cross did not persuade our Father to do us good. The death of Jesus on the cross is the evidence that our Father has always wanted to do us good. <laughs> and we can see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. I have it for you in the Weymouth translation. Knowing as you do, that it was not with a ransom of perishable wealth, such as silver or gold, that you were set free from your frivolous habits of life, which had been handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as an unblemished, spotless lamb. He was predestined indeed to this work, even before the creation of the world, but has been plainly manifested in these last days of the old covenant for the sake of you who through him are faithful to God. I love that part. <laughs> For the sake of you who through him are faithful to God, who raised him from among the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are resting upon God. Before God ever created the world and humanity, he figured out a way to save them <laughs> because he knew what was going to happen. When God decided to create a world with beings made in his own image, he knew they would have to have free will. And because of that free will, God knew that they would eventually act outside of their true identity and would fall into darkness and under the power of sin and death. So before God created a single human being, he established a way to bring humanity back into their rightful place and their true identity as sons of God who rule and reign in life through their partnership with God. All through the death, burial, and resurrection of the one and only unique Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, God has always wanted humanity to have everything they need for life and godliness, just like in the Garden of Eden. Everything was supplied for Adam and Eve before they were ever created. They were like the new baby. The nursery was made. Everything was there. And God brought the new babies home <laughs> to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> there wasn't even one thing that they needed to ask God for. So obviously prayer wasn't about asking God for things. Their constant communication had nothing to do with need and everything to do with love and partnership. They lived in perfection 
for a little while. <laughs> and God wanted them to live out from that place of perfection and the identity of perfection and to spread the kingdom of God, or AKA the Garden of Eden, into all the world. And the plan has not changed. According to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I know you hear that a lot. And I want it to be so annoying that it's the very first thing that pops in your mind when you have a need. God's divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. I don't have a problem here. <laughs> this power was given to us through knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and integrity. Verse 4. Through his glory and integrity, he has given us his promises that are of the highest value. Through these promises, you will share in the divine nature because you have escaped the corruption that sinful desires cause in the world. We already have everything for life and godliness, but we are so human. We look at our hands and go, nope, they're empty. <laughs> I don't have it. <laughs> but we, like Adam and Eve, have been fully supplied with everything we have need of both physically and spiritually. We are sons of God with power and authority to bring forth the kingdom of God in this world. That's our job, <laughs> to bring forth the kingdom of God in this world. Our constant communication with the Father doesn't need to be about any kind of lack or failure on our part, but about love and partnership. In other words, how he would have us to believe and to proceed, getting the word of God and acting on the word of God. That's what we go to God to find out. What are we doing today, God? <laughs> and that's the kind of idea we need to have. God, what are we doing today? Because we are his representatives on this earth. Satan had derailed God's original plan by getting Adam and Eve to believe lies. How does Satan stop us from ruling and reigning? The same way, <laughs> with lies. Lies about not being able to trust in the goodness of our Father. Lies about our perfection in Christ not really being real. Lies about our Father's love and acceptance only being available when we think we measure up. Lies about God revoking our gifts and callings because we just don't have enough faith. Lies that try to tell us that we can corrupt the truth of our new sinless identity in Jesus. Lies about the power and presence of Christ leaving us when we fall short. All kinds of lies that bring doubt about the finished work of the cross. Lies that tell us that we are still under the old covenant requirements for righteousness. They're all lies. Lies, 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 and more lies about everything. <laughs> all of Satan's lies are aimed at getting us to take our eyes off of Jesus and the truth of his complete victory over everything. His complete victory over everything. His complete victory over everything, <laughs> which is now our complete victory over everything. That's why we are called more than conquerors. He conquered everything and then handed us his victory so that we can live from that reality and truth by faith. We don't have a problem. We just need the truth. Believers have a tendency to try to live his victorious life by how they feel and what they see, which is exactly what Satan wants us to do, to put our eyes on ourselves and our circumstances. 
But Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. If we look at anything other than him and his truth, we will have fears and doubts and failures. Looking at ourselves or our circumstances will only create more fear and more doubt. And we don't activate our faith that we already have by looking at any kind of circumstance. We activate the faith we have, our grabber tool, (laughs) by hearing the truth about Christ and his finished work, or by hearing Christ speak the truth that we find in his finished work. A few years ago, the Lord was describing to me what faith looks like, what it does. And he said, you see that grabber tool on TV for people who can reach things that they can't actually reach on their own? I said, well, yeah. He said, that's faith. You may not be able to apprehend that thing in your own strength. You may not be able to reach that place in your life that you're looking for. He said, but your faith can get what belongs to you and bring it to you or bring it out of you. It's a grabber tool. It takes what's in the kingdom of God and brings it forth. It lets us reach things that we cannot in the natural reach. Faith takes or grabs a hold of what we cannot reach on our own natural understanding and ability. We have no ability in ourselves to bring forth the kingdom of God. But we're now all by ourselves. <laughs> Human beings, believers, can usually believe more in the natural that it's more real than what the kingdom of God is. Faith sees into the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God first and accepts the grace that has already been provided for whatever that external need is. Faith says, I've already got it in my pocket. (laughs) I'm not trying to persuade God to give me something or to do something for me. He says, I've already granted you. You have an account (laughs) that your faith takes hold of and brings forth. It's all by grace, so that it can be all by faith. For example, God says that I am righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God says that I cannot become any more right with him than I am right now. Even if I pray more, or read my Bible more, or give to the poor more, nope, I'm not any more righteous than I am right now. But that doesn't mean I always live out of that truth. I can believe the natural is more real than the spiritual and fall short in living out of my true righteousness. For example, if I fail or fall short of God's glorious perfection, and that's what I like to call it, fail short of your glorious perfection, Lord, sorry about that. (laughs) Do I beat myself up for three days? I used to, because I thought I lost my righteousness. Do I try to apologize to God over and over for fear of punishment or for fear that he will no longer be happy with me? I used to, (laughs) because I didn't understand my righteousness. Now I don't do that kind of thing anymore, because now I know that I am righteous apart from my works. Now, I do apologize to God when I fall short, but only because I'm truly sorry. I'm not trying to persuade him of anything. I say sorry, like, oh, man, (laughs) that's not who I really am. (laughs) I don't apologize because I'm afraid. I apologize because I love. I know that my Father and my Jesus have not changed their mind or their heart or their covenant (laughs) regarding me because of my failure. My Father always picks me up, brushes me off, and tells me again that he loves me and that he believes in me. He really believes that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He really believes 
that you can do all things through Christ because he strengthens you. When I use the term finished work, I'm saying that all the work of salvation that was needed in order to provide us with everything we need for life and godliness has been completely finished by Jesus. Jesus did it all as a gift of his grace. He just wants us to believe it all (laughs) so we can apprehend it all. So we don't work for God's blessings and power, and we don't work to become godly. These are gifts of his grace that are already true inside of us. I am already blessed. I am already powerful. I am already godly. I am already like my Father. I am already like my Jesus. But if I don't accept these spiritual truths, then I will try to make myself these things through my own frustrating self-effort. And the truth is, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Even if I don't feel like it, (laughs) I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus even if I don't look like it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, even if I don't believe that that's true. When Jesus saved me, he did a complete work in my spirit. I was made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus the moment I received him. Now, that reality didn't come into my understanding and begin benefiting me until about 10 years ago. but I have been the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus since I was 10 years old. I just didn't know it. (laughs) It matters what we know. (laughs) We will not apprehend or benefit from what Jesus has done for us if we do not know and understand all that he has done for us. We see this again in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. This power was given to us through knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and integrity. It matters that we know what God has done for us. It matters that we believe that we really have no problems because our Father has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. We may need some help being persuaded in our heart of that fact, (laughs) but that is the truth. Now, you might be thinking, what does all of this really have to do with prayer? And the answer is everything. (laughs) If we don't start with the truth that we have been granted everything we need for life and godliness, then we'll just keep asking God to do stuff that he's already done. And we won't see the evidence of his goodness all over our lives the way we want to, because we're waiting on him to do something. Well, he's waiting on us to believe that he already has done something. He has went to the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He has done everything that needed to be done in order to bring us back into our rightful place as sons of God who bring forth God's kingdom on this earth because we have been granted everything we need for life and godliness. Now, many believers don't understand our everlasting righteousness, so they are constantly asking God to forgive them of their sins. The ones they know and the ones they don't know. You ever prayed that? I'm so sorry for all my sins, Jesus. All the ones I can remember and all the ones I can't. (laughs) Just to be safe. I didn't know my righteousness. I used to pray like that all the time. I know people who, before they would go to bed at night, oh, please, God, if I committed any sin, please forgive me. Don't let me die in my sleep. (laughs) 
Wow, does that sound like a love relationship to you? <laughs> That's all about fear. And I used to pray like that all the time because I had an old covenant mindset that sin separated me from God, and that I would incur his punishment and or his displeasure if I didn't get my sins forgiven regularly. But that's old covenant thinking. That's a lamb by lamb salvation. That's not an eternal salvation. In the new covenant, I have an everlasting righteousness as a gift from my Father's grace, both in my spirit and in my standing. My spirit is one spirit with Jesus. Therefore, I am completely righteous. And I have been declared by God the Father to be in right standing with him forever because of Jesus' sacrifice and all as a gift of his grace. Now, when I fall short, I don't have to beat myself up. It doesn't help anyway. <laughs> I don't have to try to make myself really, really sorry because sorry is not the power to change. I don't have to fear my father's displeasure or disappointment. My standing with God doesn't change. I am still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is more than willing to expose whatever lie that I'm believing that convinced me to make that bad choice. Jesus can persuade my heart to trust him and not in myself. We have been granted everything we need, not just for life, but for godliness. <laughs> we can walk, talk, and operate just like Jesus on this earth. As he is right now at the right hand of the Father, so are we right now in our spirit. Now that's the absolute truth. But our hearts are not always convinced of this truth. <laughs> what we see and feel and hear in the natural will usually tell us something different than what God says. Our natural man wants to see it before he will believe it. But Jesus said, believe you receive when you pray, and then you shall have it. In other words, in the kingdom realm, believing you already have it because it's already been granted to you comes before seeing that you have it in the natural. Believing in what God says over what our eyes can see is the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. <laughs> we can't believe without help. <laughs> we just can't. <laughs> our natural man always tries to interfere. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the truth and the reality of the kingdom. The reality, we have a kingdom that's real. <laughs> and the truth and reality of God's word, it's all real. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit to the truth that God speaks to us. And he speaks all the time. Through reading the word, through hearing a message, through speaking to us in worship, he'll even speak to you through an unbeliever. He's always wanting to minister the truth to us. That's what we always need. If we're in fear or doubt or anxious, we're believing a lie. And when God speaks the truth to us, that fear and doubt all goes away. It's because we're believing what we see, hear, and feel instead of what God says is true. So once we come to the conclusion that we have been made permanently right with our Father and our Jesus, we can skip all that junk of trying to get right <laughs> when we come to God in prayer. <laughs> Even at the Bible college, when they would have uh, people come for Bible college to see if they wanted to join, people wanted to spend all of their worship time trying to get right, trying to get clean. 
trying to get God's approval because if I humble myself and I pray all the right prayers and I say all the right songs, then God will be happy with me. No. God is happy with you because you are in Jesus. He doesn't accept our prayers because we're good. He accepts our prayers because Jesus is good. So if we're going to skip all the junk of trying to make ourselves right, then we can move on to the asking and the begging and the pleading, right? Because <laughs> that's what you do now. You've gotten yourself all right. Now it's time to start begging and pleading and making deals. God, if you will heal aunt so-and-so, then I will do that. What are we doing? Trying to persuade God with our stupid stuff. <laughs> God says, I have already granted you everything for life and godliness. <laughs> you want revival? Go act like Jesus. <laughs> walk in the spirit. Walk in the power. Walk in love. You are a walking, talking revival. Waiting to happen to somebody. <laughs> We can't make God do anything, ever, ever. But we keep trying. <laughs> so we can't spend all the time making ourselves right, and we can't spend all the time asking and begging and pleading. So what's left? <laughs> oh, that's right, worship and thanksgiving. <laughs> that's why James says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray, worship. Is anyone merry? Let him sing songs and worship. Let him pray and keep on praying. Why do we pray? Because our hearts need to hear the voice of our Father, the voice of our shepherd, the voice of truth, the only voice that can calm the roaring waves of fear, doubt, and anxiety. Our Father's voice is everything to us. We truly live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In his voice, his voice alone, we find the truth. And when we embrace the truth, peace comes. Let him sing and keep on singing. Why do we sing? Because our hearts need to worship and experience our God. We need to connect with his presence and rejoice in his love and acceptance. We need to set our heart on the truth of who he is and what he's done for us and in us. And when we worship, we are restored and refreshed and revitalized and brought back into that perfect peace by his presence. And that's where he wants us to live from. From a place where we, we know he hears every thought. That he is at work in us all the time. He is always working with us, for us, and through us. So after verse 13, James deals with praying for the sick, which we looked at last time. So I'll just read through where we left off. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save Sozo, the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And even if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. In other words, his guilt is dismissed and sent away. I love the word sozo because it is the basis of our salvation. Saved, healed, delivered, protected, made whole, cured. <laughs> it is wholeness. And the prayer of faith will sozo the sick and the Lord. Who does the raising up? The Lord raises us up. The Lord does the healing. The Lord does everything. What do we do? We lay hands on five people so he can do it. <laughs> we don't heal people by ourselves. 
It's his power in us. I love that Joseph Prince said one time, he says, all God asks you to do is lay hands and he does the rest. Right? He just, that's what he wants us to believe. It's not about you being able to produce healing. It's not about you being able to produce an effect. It's about you believing that God says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Why? Because he's at work. <laughs> Verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I have four words highlighted for you in bold that we're going to take a little closer look at. Confess, faults, you, and healed. And I think this will give us a better understanding of this particular scripture. Now, when I was studying the words in this scripture, I was surprised by the word confess. Lots of translations say confess your sins to one another. Hmm, it's not the word for confess that you confess your sins. And it's not the word for sins <laughs> that's normally associated with sins. Hmm, this means something different. <laughs> the um, word confess in the Strong's is exomologio. It means to acknowledge or agree fully. And it can be translated confess, profess, or promise. But primarily it means agree fully. And then the faults is the Greek word, according to the Strong's, periptoma. And it primarily means a side slip, a lapse, a deviation, an error, an unintentional error, or even a willful transgression. It can be translated fall, fault, offense, sin, or transgression. But again, it's not usually used for the sin and transgression. And then the word you is plural. Because <laughs> it kind of sounds like if I confess my sins to you and you pray for me, then I will get healed. It's not what that says. The you is plural. So we could say both of you or all of you. And then the word healed is the normal word for healing. Any kind of healing. Jesus used this word in Luke 4, 18 and 19. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Same word. To heal the brokenhearted, to preach the deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So when we put all these definitions together, we get something like this. Admit and agree fully with one another regarding your faults, errors, mistakes, and even your intentional sins. And pray over each other that all of you may be healed. I personally think that James is referring to hearts and relationships. Because the early church was a battleground of dispute and persecution. But even in a marital relationship, if only one party is constantly hurting and offending the other, <laughs> with or without intention, healing the relationship begins with admitting and agreeing with the other person regarding the offense, and then praying over both parties and hearing from the Father how best to make amends. I think he's talking about relationships because he's already covered everything else. Affliction and sickness and sozo. What's left? Relationships. Really, and healing relationships 
begins by admitting your faults one to another. <laughs> and then uh, the last part of verse 16 is this. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, I find this translation often incites people to try to muster fervency in an effort to make their prayers avail much. I have seen and heard so many times people screaming and yelling and crying loudly, believing that their yelling and screaming and loud crying empowers their prayers to be more effective. I always want to say, you know, God's not deaf. God likes exuberance. But people still want to help God with their prayer by adding fervency, by adding exaggeration. (laughs) Because they have a wrong idea of why God answers prayer. They think they're making themselves, making the prayer more apt to be answered or helping God to bring it into effect. Nope, doesn't do any of that. We can't make our prayers more effective by adding self-effort to them. And that's all that that is. (laughs) I do prefer this translation, the Murdoch translation of this scripture. It says this. Confess ye your faults one to another, and pray ye for one another that ye may be healed. For great is the efficacy of the prayer which a righteous man prayeth. I don't see any hint of you trying to make your prayer come to pass. None of that. It's just stated. Your prayers are powerful and effective because you're righteous. (laughs) Not because of anything you try to add to it. Our prayers are power and effective, not because of anything we can muster, but because we have been made righteous. And our gift of righteousness gives us access by grace, through faith, to the very throne of God, the God of all grace, where we can receive our Father's compassionate help and our Savior's divine enablement in every time of need. It's all of grace, and grace gives us access. Then James gives us an example of the righteous man's prayer. Once we understand that we don't merit God answering our prayer, nothing we do. It doesn't matter if I prayed in tongues from the time I got up to the time I went to bed. That does not merit me anything. Now, I'll be stronger at the end of the day. (laughs) I'll feel awesome. (laughs) But I didn't earn anything from God. I might be able to use my faith more effectively at that point, but it doesn't change God. And James's point is that a righteous man has the access and the ability to pray truly powerful prayers. And he uses Elijah as an example, starting in verse 17. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by a space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. The end. (laughs) You're like, what? (laughs) And your point is exactly? (laughs) Why is he an example? So James's example doesn't really add anything to the thought that a righteous man's prayer is powerful and effective, except to say he gets what he prays for. That's it. (laughs) But if you know the story behind this example, there's a lot more we can learn from Elijah. First of all, we talked about stopping the rain. Stopping the rain was not Elijah's idea. James tells us that he prayed this, but we don't actually see that in the scripture. In 1 Kings 
17, verse 1, it says this. Now Elijah, who just appeared to drop out of heaven because no one knew where he came from and why he showed up. <laughs> and now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe of Gilead said to King Ahab, evil king, as the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And then he basically got out of Dodge to avoid being killed. That's it. That's all you hear. <laughs> he says, it's not going to rain. Then he leaves. Three years later, God sends him back to the evil king Ahab, and he says this in 1 Kings 18.1. After many days, the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Now, who is going to bring forth the rain? Not Elijah. <laughs> Elijah heard the voice of the Lord and only did what the Lord told him to do. Stopping the rain was the Lord's idea, and then starting the rain was also the Lord's idea. But neither was accomplished apart from Elijah's prayers. We are partners with God. God wants us to prophesy what he says. God wants us to be his representative on the earth in our prayers and in our prophesying. Elijah was God's partner and his personal representative, even as we are. He operated by faith in God's word, same way we do. So Elijah's prayers and prophetic utterances didn't come from Elijah, but from the Spirit and from the Word of the Lord. And so it should be with us. Reading the written Word is one of the most reliable ways of hearing what the Lord is trying to speak to us personally. The Holy Spirit will speak to us through the written Word, and then He will also confirm what we believe we've heard from the Lord through the Holy Spirit in our thoughts. So the written word is our safeguard, <laughs> because sometimes we have our own thoughts. <laughs> so the written word is a safeguard to us, because it will always confirm or deny the essence and character of what we believe we've heard. So the day comes when the rain is supposed to start. So Elijah has to pray. Verse 41 of chapter 18. And Elijah says to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a rushing rain. That's prophetic. He's speaking what's going to be. Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. <laughs> Is that what you want to have happen when you pray? <laughs> I prayed, God. There's nothing. And he said, go again. There's still nothing. And again, there's still nothing. And again. <laughs> Seven times. Think about when you're praying for somebody's healing. And there's no immediate response. Does that mean nothing happened? Does that mean God's not at work? See, what happens is we lose confidence in our prayer. <laughs> we lose confidence in our ability to heal people. Imagine that. <laughs> Gee, I just did, I didn't get it done today. I'm not the healer. Not all by myself. All the power is from him. This is what he's talking about. Believing when you don't see. 
believing when you're still afraid, believing that God is faithful and cannot lie, believing that he will do what he said he would do, regardless if I look around and I see no difference. I need to continue to believe that God is still at work. And that is exactly what Elijah did. He stayed in that frame of mind, that frame of prayer. In my mind, the servant probably went back that second or third time and said, aren't you wasting your time here? <laughs> because Satan will definitely tell us that. <laughs> Elijah could have said something like, mm, oh well, God must not have really wanted rain today. <laughs> if God wants it to rain, it will rain. And if not, it won't. It's all up to God. Or Elijah could have said, I guess I just don't have enough faith for rain. <laughs> I'll have to work on that. <laughs> Believers fall into these same kind of excuses because they don't understand that they are God's partner and God's representative on the earth. It's not all up to God. And it's certainly not all up to us. It is a partnership of faith and grace. And the more we hear the word of the Lord, the more confidence we will have. At first, I thought, oh, I wish they had written down Elijah's prayer. I would love to have known how he was praying. And God said, you know why? Because it would be a magic prayer. <laughs> we pray this prayer to get rain. No, <laughs> it's not the words. It's what God gives you. <laughs> the more we spend time just listening, because that's probably all he was doing. God, what are you doing? What's my part? What do you want me to pray? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? <laughs> I'm your partner. We're in this together. <laughs> and then the seventh time. Verse 44, and at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah says to Ahab, Go up, prepare your chariot, and go down, lest the rain stop you. He said, There's a torrent of rain coming. It's not going to just be a little shower. You see that little bitty cloud? That's going to change real quick. Because <laughs> I know in whom I have believed, and he is unable to lie. He says, it's going to rain. He's the one that brings the rain. I'm just the spokesperson. <laughs> the servant sees an itty bitty cloud and Elijah is totally convinced. He just needed a little bit of encouragement. The torrents of rain were about to let loose and he speaks out his confidence in the word of the Lord. He knows God is faithful. And so he warns King Ahab just because he can, <laughs> just to rub it in a little bit. <laughs> he just sort of gloats in God's faithfulness to fulfill his word. He just needed that little bit of encouragement. Verse 45, and in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Elijah was a righteous man and an extraordinary prophet. But his prayers were simply the prayers of a righteous man. A righteous man has complete access to the throne of grace and to the God who cannot lie and to the love and the power and everything that we need to be an example of who Jesus is, to let him live his life through us. We have a God who can do above and beyond all that we ask or imagine. If we can't pray anything at all, pray that. 
You do more than I imagine. I'm not going to limit what you can do in the situation to giving you parameters. I'm just going to believe above and beyond all that I can ask or think even, Lord. That's what we're expecting. That's what we're asking. And that's James' point about using Elijah as the example. It wasn't about how great Elijah was. It wasn't about how great his prayers were. It was about that he believed in a God who could not lie. And he had, because he was righteous, he had complete access to that God and all of his power. Our prayers are the same way. We are righteous. We are righteous. We have complete access to all the power and presence of God. Yes, we have to learn how to walk it out. The first time you lay hands on somebody and nothing happens, you're like, oh, I'm maybe not called to this. <laughs> Lie. Lie. They've proven. People who are famous for healing ministries, they started out with no results. They didn't give up because they knew they had a God who couldn't lie. They knew they had a God who was love and power and healing. They know they have a God who wants that for everyone because everything has been already granted for every human being on this earth. They don't have to believe and we can still play hands on them and watch them be healed. We can pray and release the kingdom of God and all of his power and glory for people who don't know Jesus. But we have to start practicing. (laughs) And we have to know that he hears us. And he hears us because we're righteous. And he is at work, even if we can't see it. Amen? Father God, we thank you for your word, for your truth, that you have made us righteous. And we don't have to waste time trying to make ourselves righteous. And we don't have to waste time with repetitive apologies in an effort to get you to accept us again. We thank you, Father God, that we can just be your friend, be your beloved. We can just draw close and let your your presence minister to every place in our life. We thank you, Father God, that you are growing us up. We may look like little Jesuses, but we're learning to be big Jesuses (laughs) and to walk in all the power and presence of who you are in reality and in truth in us. Father, we thank you that you were a patient teacher (laughs) that you never condemn us for trying and you never condemn us for failing. In fact, you say, let's try it again. Let's do it again. Let's practice again. You are a son of God. You were meant to rule and reign on this earth. And I'll teach you how. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.